You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And this is week two of Tober. Yay! I missed week one. You did, yeah. You were lazy and off in New York. Yes, I was on vacation with my family in upstate New York, uh, and it was wonderful. But you were gone too. You were yeah. just in Portland. Yep, I was in Portland, so we were both, uh, you know, neglecting all of our listeners. Yeah, we were we were being worldly kids. We yeah. were seeing other than uh, our block of uh, Chicago that we always see. Constantly. But we still have love for Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah, we kept we kept it going. Um, my, my quick summation of True Romance, which I missed, is that I love that movie. So <laughs> I'm glad you guys did it. And how couldn't you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, my um, thing I put in the museum was the highly controversial... And offensive Sicilian monologue, which is one of my favorite of all time. It's it's a great acting exercise. I'm sure people in the '90s did that in like monologues and like edgy, you know, scenes and circles and things like that. Yeah, yeah there's no way I'm saying the N word that much. No, but I'm sure it was. The '90s were a different time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, plus, I mean, yeah, we talked about it briefly, and we'll get past this, but how many N words that Quentin Tarantino puts into his early movies is amazingly ridiculous and and most like recently too up to like uh hateful eight still just mm. dropping them all the time yeah hateful eight he comes back uh, <laughs> Django unchained and hateful eight he comes back really hard and it's always weird because like part of my brain was like oh no don't say that it's awful and another part of mine is wow that that's wow that's that's what i say like oh my gosh it's I yeah I guess it's a, an artistic choice and yeah. you take it as you will. <laughs> yep, but we'll move on to other Quentin Tarantino films as we celebrate his well what we can on VHS and this week we come with Oliver Stone presents Natural Born Killers, an Oliver Stone film, Mickey and Mallory, feared by thousands. Watched by millions. We're fate. Can't stop fate. Nobody can. Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones. What do you have to say to your fans? You ain't seen nothing yet. Natural Born Killers. Rated R. Yeah, probably the least Tarantino of the Tarantinos we're watching. But yeah, there's so little of them that are actually on VHS that like, you know, we've got to take our, our flex of Tarantino where we can get them. Yeah, it stinks. But it is what it is. Well, I mean, it's good because he keeps going. Yeah. So we keep getting more stuff. But with this one, Tarantino wrote the script because he wrote all three scripts together with Reservoir Dogs, True Romance, and Natural Born Killers mm -hmm. when he was working at a video store and surfing couches. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think there's a lot of parallels between, I guess, maybe even just like Tarantino now and Oliver Stone then. Oliver Stone making this movie in 94 is kind of like Tarantino making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year type thing. You know, controversial filmmaker, been around for years, you know, and uh, household name as a filmmaker. 
uh, and also like kind of a feared filmmaker or whatever so like the parallels are there already for like this to tarantino even though it's just a tarantino basis script mm-hmm. that was used for this uh i think it i think it connects i think it all adds up yeah do you know a lot about this script behind how it was uh taken over no no i never did any of that research on this yeah well i just know a decent amount of old tarantino stuff and it was he tried to get this one made he didn't want to make true romance we discussed that last week the scots wanted him to but he's like no no it's just not for me so then tony scott took over it and then you know tarantino loved it he's like yeah he took my script and made it better uh, but he wanted to do Reservoir Dogs, and he wanted to do Natural Born Killers. I can kind of see the parallel in that, but I could also see the parallel in Reservoir Dogs and True Romance, you know? Right. Like, Natural Born Killers has basically nothing to do with with um, True Romance, like, at all. I don't see it. True Romance was, well, I guess there is, there's love there, but I feel like just the mood of this is different. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if it was closer in the script or not. Um the sort of lovers on the run type thing. But like, uh, yeah, the, this end product couldn't be more different from true romance. I don't think even though it is kind of similar, it's Tarantino esque. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, it is a completely different beast altogether. Yeah. Tarantino's original script was more about the media, Mickey and Molly running around. That was all part of the background. O- obviously it's what propels, you know, the background story to get to the main story of the media. Oliver Stone and his people wanted to more focus on the Bonnie and Clyde aspect, which I think Tarantino, he doesn't hold any ill thoughts towards this. He's like, yeah, great. I mean, it was their script. I tried to get it made, couldn't, sold it. That's how it works. And I think Tarantino just thought the media was more interesting and Bonnie and Clyde had already been done. Yeah, and it's funny because I would say the stuff that's the most interesting in the movie and and weirdly the stuff that like Oliver Stone as a director seems more interested in mm-hmm. is the media stuff. The movie's head is there. But yeah, for whatever reason, they they've added, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde story as well. And I just feel like the focus is still on the media. And that's like, why? Why didn't you just go with that script? Then if that's obviously where your interest is lying. I don't know. I don't know. Because you can tell there are sometimes, yes, where I feel like they're focusing so much on, you know, I I forget the media guy's name, but uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, you know, where he's just like over the top insane. Hmm. And then you have Mickey and Maori who are over the top and saying, but for some reason I understand them more because they're supposed to be like yeah. with the media guy. I'm more interested. Like what the fuck made you like this? And, and Oliver Stone's answer seems to be just like the nineties. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting more into the tape here. Well, Matt, I think we can successfully make our podcast shorter than this freaking double tape. Yeah, this is a long one. This took me a while to finish uh, over the course of two days, yesterday and today. Um, I was work chipping my way through this beast. We got the director's cut here. And back in uh, 96, I think, when this came out, is a double tape. And it's the, you know, the director's cut of the movie, which is about two hours long. And then uh, it has uh, an Oliver Stone five-minute intro and a hour-long sort of bonus feature section where we have deleted scenes, a music video, and a behind the scenes featurette yeah i don't actually know how long this movie is compared to the theater cut because i see on wikipedia it says the movie's one hour and 19 minutes uh well 119 uh, 100, so almost two sorry, hours what i say 100? yeah uh, i think i think oliver stone said that they added four minutes to this 
That's so, it? Yeah, there's only four minutes added to the movie, oh, but man. there's so much other stuff on this tape. Yeah. And, you know, I my dedication to the podcast meant I had to watch everything that was on yeah. this tape. So that was a three-hour long uh, endeavor that that turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, I felt the runtime on this movie. I, yeah, I felt the runtime on everything, watching the the bonus stuff uh, and the movie itself. But uh, before I, before we can, I guess talk about the movie, let's talk about this tape, which here. is fantastic. It's like a so it's a double tape, but it's instead of being just one sleeve, it's a fold out double tape. Um, so the front has Oliver Stone presents Natural Born Killers, and it's a kind of a funky, trippy, acidy looking, like almost like a '60s road biker movie. You know, acid trip movie kind of cover with a black and white Woody Harrelson yeah. looking scary and like a faded in the background Juliet Lewis standing on a car. Yeah, this reminds me of like 90s when the 70s, 60s look came back in. Yeah, absolutely. This is like that drug era Woodstock kind mm-hmm. of feel here. Um, and it's, you know, has the sign for Route 666. There's like a screaming warped face in the background. It says director's cut contains over one hour of unseen, unedited footage, letterboxed edition. So we did get to watch it sort of in a, yeah. in a cool, uh, you know, it was this big on my TV. I'm doing really small hands. <laughs> it yeah. was kind of cool to see it uh, letterboxed. This is one I actually watched on the big screen because it was annoying watching it on my computer just monitor. so tiny yeah i was like no nah, i gotta blow this up and it actually worked fine it's good tape oh yeah no it was, it, the transfer was great it's fine uh i didn't get lost in anything on this one or anything uh it, on the sides we've got uh Mick, mickey and mallory together in front of an american flag which is like pixelated like it's on a tv very much mm-hmm. the vibe of this movie and it unfolds and what we have on the inside is uh, Oliver Stone on a crane kind of pointing and a letter from him, which I'll read in a second. That image of the two of them on a TV and then some stills from the movie. Um, and here's what it says. May 1996. What you are about to see is the true version of Natural Born Killers. When Natural Born Killers was originally released in 1994, 150 cuts were made in order to receive an R rating. Without them, the film's impact was never fully realized. In this director's cut, those trims have been restored, and with them, my original vision of what the film was meant to be. Signed, Mm, Oliver Stone. I'm going to disagree with you, Oliver. Uh, Director Oliver Stone brings you a bold new look at a country seduced by fame, obsessed by crime, and consumed by the media. In the media circus of life, they were the main attraction. And then we'll flip it over to the back here. More warped screaming faces and more stills of uh, grotesque stuff. Uh, And it's four stars, a masterpiece. Seeing this movie once is not enough from Roger Ebert. They wouldn't get any description of the movie or anything like that. It's totally just selling you on the violence of the movie itself, which is just like a strange irony. It says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Over an hour of haunting bonus footage contains extra scenes and lost performances. Ashley Judd's shocking courtroom scene. Warden Jones's dismembered head. Dennis Leary's never-before-seen performance. The controversial shot of reporter Downey's hand wound. Oliver Stone's intense alternate ending. Insightful narration by Oliver Stone and behind-the-scenes making of NBK special. Includes the music video Burn by Nine Inch Nails from the hit movie soundtrack. Lot, a lot of stuff going on here. Now, here's something interesting. The, the reason why this all came out, this double tape came out in 2001 with the DVD special. So they did this at the same time. That's why this 
is really interesting. And if you notice when they're doing the the third or the second tape, when it's all the behind the scenes stuff and they're talking to him, how everyone looks a little older. You can also tell that this was taped around 98, 99 and then came out later. Yeah, I, I actually thought a lot of the stuff was from like 96. So. No, you can tell because Juliet Lewis from Stranger, um, Strange Strange Days, she's her character in Strange Days, mm. which I think came out in 99. So I'm going to say this was recorded in 98. Strange has, Days was like 95. Oh, it might have been. So it might have been. Yeah, they might have been older. And then they didn't come out until 2001. But she's clearly on the set of Strange Days because she has her hair dyed and she's in her rock and roll um, attire. Mm. As soon as I spotted it, I was like, ah, she's on Strange Days. I like, wow, okay. So when was this recorded? So this came out many years after they had it all recorded. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this is like a laser disc port over or something. It could from, be. From Who knows? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because they, they had those bonus features and stuff in the mid '90s, so it could have been like a '96 uh, laser disc, and they put everything on tape here. Yeah, you could tell this was a while after that. Not too far, but like when Woody Harrelson goes, "Yeah, I'm, you know, we had this one scene in the hotel room with the the woman. I'm glad he's, you know, not restoring that." And then they they're like, "Oh no, he didn't." And Woody Harrelson goes, "Oh." Oh, he yeah. did? Like, that shock, he's like, oh, fuck, His we're going to see that? His face was fucking hilarious in that. Yeah, they didn't cut that at all. <laughs> uh, totally playing up the controversy of, you know, Oliver Stone and the, the sort of uh, controversy around the movie. Played They played it up in the, the behind-the-scenes thing. Yeah, they did. It was fun. It was kind of interesting to hear all the, you know, stars. So this must have been done, yeah, in 90... Because it says 96 on the inside yeah. that like Oliver Stone writes his letter. So a lot of the stuff was probably 96. You're probably right. Laserdisc. Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah. yeah, and then they came out in 2001. That's so weird that you'd come out with something that late. They probably just were running the other VHS that was around forever, the white cover one. Yeah, that's the one I had seen. Yeah, uh, that's the one I know we rented when I saw this movie the first time. It's kind of hilarious to think that I probably saw this, well... I guess we're going into the history here, so I'll stop there. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is Australian. Is there a difference between that Look, one? Let's see. So we're on Because that says Universal, and this yeah, is not this Universal. Is, this, this is, is Vidmark. Vidmark. Well, this is wacky. So th- this might still be from 96. It, it might huh? be, yeah. Okay, we're going to have to get in a time machine. So it looks like Universal got the... Um, Australian rights to this yeah. movie. <laughs> or maybe just the international. Yeah, maybe. Oh, that's interesting. So we've got an, a Universal Australia of this exact same double tape, and then we've got the Vidmark. Yeah. So maybe this is from 96 or whatever. Yeah, you know what this tells me is Vidmark probably had the U.S., uh, and they had the rights to do the whole special edition, because this is a Vidmark tape to me. Yeah. The, they've done this so many times, where you have the ones that open up. We've seen the Leprechaun one. Yeah, they. This is their thing. They're really, they're really good with their branding of their tapes and stuff. Yeah, and if you want to hear more on the Leprechaun one, you can go back in the past. What that was, Leprechaun two and Firestorm. One of those. Yeah. One of those top gun. I don't even. Remember, I don't even remember the name of that movie. I kind of like checked it out as soon as it was over. <laughs> or oh no 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 wait was it Leprechaun two and the uh, documentary the Clinton documentary? No, that was the one with Death Wish. That was the one with Death Wish. Yeah, I'm getting our double features. Yeah, our, yeah. our fold out Vidmark tapes. Yeah, I'm also curious too, kind of how like Warner Brothers dumped this to Vidmark. I wonder if they were like ashamed of it. 
or if they if the controversy was too much or something but like i know warner brothers was involved in the theatrical and put out the first tape well but then the, it, then it ended up with vidmark i don't know how that happened this was during the 90s when a lot of this you know like hey the violent comic books and video games and movies are turning us into you know like when you went through that little part of your life where you started murdering people right in the 90s. Yeah, but you're back now. Well, yeah, the 90s are over. Well, you got it's away with it. It's not in vogue anymore. Yeah. You got away with it because <laughs> you, you were like four or five, and they're like, we can't send this little kid to jail. Exactly. But I was watching stuff like this. So, you know, it's this movie's fault and Warner Brothers' fault. It's not any fault beyond that. Man, I hope you didn't watch this when you were five. I did. Oh, no. This is too warped for a five-year-old. Absolutely. You could not understand I didn't process most of this, yeah. You probably, what, you came back to this when you were around 12, 13? Yeah, I would say around then. When I started getting into Tarantino, probably came up, and I didn't like it then either. (laughs) I didn't like it when I was five. I didn't like it when I was 12. This is during my video store days of end of high school, beginning of college. I never watched this when it first came out. I just... I don't know. I didn't. But I went back, watched it. I don't, I don't really like Oliver Stone that much. Me neither. I'm not an Oliver Stone fan. I mean, I can appreciate that he has a really good artistic view every once in a while. That I, you know, I was like, oh, wow, Platoon. I don't want to ever watch that movie. Yeah, he's he's definitely he's he's definitely a filmmaker. You know, he's an auteur. He definitely is. He's got a stamp. He's got a thing he does. And he's good at it. And that's that's fine. It's just not my thing. Well, I think he punches you in the face too much with his message. I'm like, yeah, we got it. And War, his movie, war's bad. And his movies are oftentimes, and shown by how many times he's gone back and recut stuff and, yeah. you know, done direct. His movies are often bloated and filled with more stuff than you need and things like that. So Yeah, one of the funniest things was when he complained about Tarantino's script. Like, it was 500 pages, it was too much, it was bloated, or 400 pages, whatever. And I'm like, this is coming from Oliver Stone. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, how long is his cut of that one uh, sword and sandal epic or whatever he made in the two uh, thousands? Are you Isn't talking there like about a five hour cut of that? Uh, whatever the the Greek Troy uh, Alexander. No, I thought that was Ridley Scott that did Alexander, or is that no 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 no? no. no Rid- yeah, that is that is uh, no Ridley Scott who did Troy. Oh, that was the other guy. That was the the. I know we had Alexander Troy and then the the. I know the one of your Ridley, Ridley Scott one. We had all these come on. They're, they're all, all long. They're all too long, and I didn't like any of them. Uh, yeah, Alexander, you were right. That is the one. There. I fucking hate Alexander. It's a piece yeah, it's, of shit. it's a terrible movie. Um, but yeah, like you know, that's a movie's five hours long. So like yeah, with his like, his cut or whatever. Every time I hear Oliver Stone like talk, he he's always got this whole like he's doing something smarter. He he's always the artist where he's like, I'm smarter than you. Yeah, he's like talking down to you as the viewer. Be like, well, you don't understand all this, but this is what this is. And it's like, no, we understand all this. We just don't like it. We don't need all of it. <laughs> yeah, and then he's fucking terrible to a lot of his actors and a lot of his crew members. Like, he puts them in bad situations. And I can't believe he never gets talked about this way. They even talk about it briefly in the second tape here, where they got a cameraman hurt, a couple actors, someone broke their hand, and he's using, like, real um inmates yeah real with in a act- real prison with actors and actresses like dude no yeah this yeah. is how you fuck up but he gets away with it because he's a name you know he can he can get away with it well until he hit alexander and then he kind of goes down there like never given or what was it every given sunday the the any given movie. sunday yeah whatever i never uh, saw that one and i probably never yeah, will I, I'm just I not didn't a fan like of it. his movies <laughs> but, but uh, uh, he kind of like hit 
a brick wall. Yeah, absolutely. If we put this tape in, I think this is a good segue. If we put this tape in, it is. it starts off with Oliver Stone kind of talking at us about the movie. Hi, I'm Oliver Stone, and I'm really proud to present Natural Born Killers, the director's cut. And I especially fought for this movie because it was censored uh, when it first came out by the Motion Picture Association. And they cut or trimmed about 150 things in this movie that you're about to see. The opening diner scene is restored to give the sense of the madness, the surreality of the violence. Jack Skagdeni, played by uh, Tom Sizemore, strangling the prostitute, has been restored so it makes sense now. The sex and death have been linked in this version of the movie. There's a wonderful uh, pharmacy scene that was cut up quite considerably with a Rodney King kind of beating that has been restored. A scene with Mickey in a motel with a female hostage has been restored. It's a nasty scene, but it was it, it makes a certain point about Mickey's uh, ruthlessness. The riot scene uh, is particularly uh, important to me. And it involves, of course, a lot of physical stunts, people falling off balconies and murders. The whole universe is coming apart. Uh, yeah, this is the way it should have been viewed, yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, after watching it, I do not agree with him at all. I'm like, this extra four minutes didn't do anything for me except make the fucking tape longer. Yeah, it, it's basically just added, like, violence, added gore. It seems like it doesn't seem like, or or the, the added uh, rape scene and stuff, it doesn't seem like it's any plot stuff that he's added or anything like that because he talks about the deleted scenes after. Yeah, that's so, your plot stuff is your deleted yeah. scenes. So I think the four minutes he added here are just is just gore, rape, and violence, and it's like stuff that is superfluous. It doesn't need to be in the movie. So yeah, yeah. well, and the the whole should I ruin it with the the whole warden part they cut at the very end? That's like you know ten seconds. Yeah, it, you know, yeah. Let's talk. Like, yeah, let's talk okay, about it. So they cut. A scene in the the MPA made him get rid of the warden's head on a stick at the very end when the warden's killed. And one, the MPA made him get rid of this. And why? That's the only thing I agreed with Oliver Stone. I would stick it back in too. What the fuck? Are you serious? After all this violence, you make me stick a rubber head on a stick? You make me cut that out? Like and and here's here's the hypocrisy or the craziness or a rubber head on a stick. Yeah, Sorry, whatever. Yeah, the the hypocrisy of the MPAA and everything like that. They made him cut it from the movie. It was too violent, too gory. You know, you don't. They don't want audiences to see it. Whatever. It's too graphic. The tape has it on the back cover. I know. <laughs> a kid could pick up this tape in a video store and see a guy's head on a stick. Like this was probably in Walmart. You know what I mean? Like the it, the insanity of the hypocrisy of it all. Like can't show it in the movie, but we're gonna put it on the box and sell it. Like <laughs> that's why Warner Brothers probably didn't want to do this. They're like, no, we have our movie. Fine, sell the rights. We don't care. Bidmark, great. We worked with them before. Just keep us away from this. <laughs> They're like, are you We don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you seriously want to stick out uh, 180 minutes? 180 minute movie? You know, like a total movie of this? Now, with the DVD and Blu-rays, I love it. Because you have... It doesn't feel that long because you can go in there and pick and choose what you want to watch. DVDs. Right. That's the beauty of DVDs and Blu-rays, even though they're disgusting and not analog. And yeah, I puke right. on them. Right. But Digital trash. Yeah. Yeah. But I do I, love. That I like the bonus idea. features, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like that I could pick because I wouldn't have watched the deleted scenes if this was a, a DVD. I would have watched the the featurette because those are the things I usually always watch when I watch yeah. a DVD or Blu-ray. But I would have absolutely skipped probably the music video and the the deleted scenes. So I recorded all of it 
and I'm I tried to stick it up on YouTube just to see what happened. They immediately cut it down. It's it's like blocked all countries, so I have to recut it. I cannot get the music video in there. I knew that. Yeah. I just wanted to see how long it would go, yeah. and it was immediate because uh, those bots caught that music video, and that's what kills it. And I can't put in the deleted scenes. Just can't do it. Uh, for some re- you can put in whole scenes of a movie, but for some reason, when I stuck in the deleted scenes, that was a problem on YouTube. So what I can put in is Oliver Stone talking with the actors talking, the featurettes. So I'll get that in there so you guys can watch it on YouTube. But the rest of it, you're going to have to find it on your own. <laughs> Which I think the Nine Inch Nails video is called Burn. Yeah, you, you can probably just, watch it. Just, just, watch go- it. just Google it. And it's funny that deleted scenes, like they're, they take them down because they want to sell the Blu-ray, I'm sure. Because sure, they're on the yeah. Blu-ray. And it's funny, now Warner Brothers has the rights back to this again. And now, now they're probably just, you know basking in the controversy of it because uh, we're not in the 90s anymore yeah they were warner brothers is probably the ones that had you take it down so they could sell their blu-rays <laughs> yeah that's oh well they immediately put up that it was um it wasn't like someone you know far out there who like made a complaint it was specific the it's the distributor it's it's vidmark or it's warner Brothers. it's someone said no 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 no, no. <laughs> which i understand i just wanted to, we're not trying to make money off of it so they don't it's not like they penalize our site or our um, analog jones youtube because if i tried to make money off of it then they'd have a serious problem basically yeah. they just slapped me on the wrist and said no 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 steve <laughs> you, we're just trying to educate the people we're just yeah. trying to give them uh you know treasures that we have unearthed from the plastic yeah we're not trying to <laughs> it does it, it will crack me up because by the time this um comes out you'll be able to see our true romance and i put entire scenes of true romance on youtube they don't care like That's you're not right. trying to make money for it, whatever it, it probably is just marketing for them. They'll take it. They're like, oh, yeah, this will sell our DVDs. Yep. <laughs> They're like, oh, they'll go and find it and rent it online. Yep. Money made. Uh, free advertising. That's what that is. And that's what we're doing here today for yeah. Natural Born Killers is giving it a bunch of free advertising. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we've already gone into this, which I, I fucking love talking about this movie like this because this movie's all over the place. So we stuck in the tape. And now, our feature presentation. Like you said, you got the Oliver Stone, yada, yada, yada. But what'd you think about that first scene? The diner. I would say I was with this movie for about the first 15 minutes. I like the diner scene a whole lot. I like the opening credits, and I like the scene following the opening credits a whole lot. So I was into it. You know, I also just recently watched the next movie we're going to talk about, which I guess I'll just spoil, uh, Pulp Fiction. And it is, you know, Pulp Fiction does the diner scene way better. (laughs) Yeah, this was the diner scene written by Quentin Tarantino and then taken away and then rewritten and then used by Oliver Stone and their people. And you can see the difference. But I think both of them are good in their own way. Obviously, Pulp Fiction is much better. And it's one of the most iconic movies of the 90s. Yeah. And there's a reason why. Natural Born Killers, on the other hand, is faded. And it, or it's it's talked about in a divisive way, you yeah. know. Like it's, it's always like, oh, we're going through this again. Like, <laughs> like stay stay after the podcast because we're going to talk about the Joker, or we're going to talk about the Joker throughout it. Not I, really. Uh, it's I, I'm going to talk about the Joker throughout it because I yeah. think uh, while well, we timed this episode perfectly on accident, yeah, uh, this will be dropping like the week after Joker comes out. So in the fallout of Joker, which Warner Brothers? Well, actually, out? it's not a fallout. They're making a shit ton of money because of the controversy. I just mean the fallout of the controversy. I don't mean... They're, they're laughing all the way to the bank, but... Like. I know. But yeah, it was... So I picked Taron Tober for two reasons. One, the 25th anniversary of Pump Fiction saddled with, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out. Yeah. So it had nothing to do with this. I mean, actually, it's because we're so intelligent 
that right. we knew the Joker would do this. Yes, we were like, we'll do this one on the second week. It's not like we're going in order of the releases of the movies. Uh, we said we'd do this one on the second week because it would be the same weekend Joker would come out. So we planned all along. <laughs> and the other reason was because of the Halloween party. And I was like, oh, those are going to be sweet costumes. Right. Right. Which That's I, it. Which you're going to have to send me pictures of because I won't be at the Halloween party this yes. year. But I want to see everybody's uh, well, costumes. And there's the bad news, people. The Analog Jones Halloween party will only have one Analog Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, be, I'll be at Nightmares Film Festival watching uh, new movies um, and wishing I was at the Halloween party. I wish I could do both. <laughs> It'll be tough. Uh, I'll send you a live video. Please do. I want updates. <laughs> You're pretty sweet, actually. I liked I liked the opening scene, and I was with it for like like I said, 15 minutes. I had seen this movie twice before, but like my memories are so fragmented, much like this movie. You know, I saw it at way too young an age in '95. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I didn't like it because I was I did probably didn't get it. I didn't know what the fuck I was looking at. You know, and then like, but my parents let me watch it because I was watching all kinds of violent stuff anyway. Uh, they just didn't realize that this was going to be so wacky. Uh, I saw it again when I was 12 and I got back into like Tarantino and stuff like this and didn't like it then either. And then I was like, okay, I don't remember any of it though. So let's start this off. And yeah, like I mm-hmm. said, 15 minutes in, I'm like, okay, okay, I'm with this. And it falls off for me. So we're on the same boat. When I watched the diner scene, I was impressed. I, uh, you know, I kind of was like, all right, this is so 90s, it's ridiculous. We had the Dutch angles. We had the, the twisted angles. We had the... I did like the going from black and white to color. Other yeah, that's, than... That's sort of this movie's trademark. Yeah. To me, that's a little... Ex- after I'm um, right out of college experimental type stuff. Yeah. But it, I don't know if it was done for a reason. I just kind of like... Because they stuck to it... And they made it consistent. I was okay with it. Because, you know, I'm more of a structure guy. And you're more of the experimental, I would say. Yeah. I, I don't know even if I'd call you experimental. But you're more of the, like, let's get zany. Yeah, I like I like choi- I like choices. I like wackadoo choices. You yeah. know, like, and this movie definitely has it. And it has all the right pieces of the stuff I like. Yeah, this very, M- very purposefully MTV-style way of shooting. The editing, the fragmented editing, the way like they'll just cut in repeat lines mm-hmm. of stuff. Like I love it. I love all that stuff. Yeah, I uh, like the structure and then you do something on purpose to make it crazy and over the top. Because I'm attracted to over the top and structure. And th- that's kind of a weird thing. But I kind of saw when I was watching this movie, this has both Matt and Steve traits all over it. We should really like this. That's what I was thinking the first 25 minutes. And then... When we started, like, oh, like, I love the I Love Maori. Right. That, that whole, was that whole segment is perfect. It's, you're, it's, that's a choice. Yeah. And it, it, it sums up what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then after that, it's I. Mine's the Indian. Exactly. It's exactly yeah. where I fade out. Like, I am. There's parts of the I, I Love Mallory that I don't like because it does go on pretty long. I know. It's a huge segment of the movie. Uh, and I like the choice. I like the fact that, you know, they do it like a sitcom. There's a laugh track. I like all that. But it goes on for so long uh, that I wanted them to kind of switch up the gimmick a little bit. So that's where I start questioning how I feel about the movie. And as soon as, like, the Indian shaman character comes in, I just check out. Yeah, when uh, they're... It's too much. It's, it's uh, my brain has... I have worked out my brain Mm-hmm. Uh, to the fullest at that point like we may it may be a half hour 45 minutes in the movie and my brain has like stretched its limits and yeah. now i just want to rest you, you, want to, <laughs> you gotta cut down that i love maori because it lost its impact 
Uh, you you got to do the I love Maori. Here's the people. Ronnie Dangerfield, get to that because we got to talk about that. Ronnie Dangerfield is a fucking creep in this, and he does a good job. But I think the segment loses its power because it's too long. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's that's about where I start questioning how I feel, and it is it's weird. Like overall, there are there's so much stuff that is exactly what I like. You know, the violence, yeah. mm-hmm. the the confrontational, you know, way this movie's made, the editing, the MTV style, I'm, it, it's all shit I'm into. This is everything I like. And then, yeah, when I get to that point in the movie where the shaman comes in, I'm like, but why am I not liking this? Because <laughs> like, I think the shaman part is not what this movie should be about. Like, why are they trying? Like, Maori wants to become, Maori wants a lot of things. She wants to become a mom at one point. She wants almost Mickey to love certain people if they're nice to them. And then she also like wants to be loved by other people. I don't understand. She- Mallory confuses me, and I-, I think this is the writer's fault. You know, when you get three writers. Yeah. I think Mickey was easy. They're like, Mickey's an animal. He, he wants to fuck. He wants to kill. And he sees that in Mallory isn't attracted to Mallory, but I, and he loves Mallory. But I thought he was easier to encompass, and maybe that's because I'm male. You know what I mean? Like I, I got what they're doing. I've seen this before. We've watched a lot of shitty bad movies or good movies. We've seen the like he's an animal. That's all he knows. Yeah. Well, that also comes from the fact that there's three male writers. You yeah, know, it's yeah. Three dudes writing it. How are they going to oh, get Mallory down? That's a down? good point. <laughs> they don't seem to understand how to write. Maori in this and it's probably because you know hey she's a female they're like oh women like to become moms right yeah and, and that's that's exactly i think what it is i think that's exactly what went wrong there was that it's the fact that it's a uh it's three dudes sitting well, in a room trying to figure this out well, what, what i was thinking i was like yeah well why don't if Maori had a fucked up life and, and she wants to make it better why if you're going to introduce the whole motherhood thing why don't you say the reason she wants to have a baby is because she can raise it right you know what I mean? She can create a better Maori. I, I could see that, but maybe because the movie's so fucking bloated that they're like, Ooh, we can't do all that. Yeah, even even that is just a bit, you know, I don't know. Like, it's still not 3D enough. You know what I mean? It's like... I, well, I mean, I'm trying to, like... Yeah, I'm no, trying I, to actually take this, and I don't know why this disturbed me so much, but I'm like, what? You're all over the place with Maori. Why can't she just be another Mickey? She's fucked. You know what I mean? She had a fucked up right, life. She right. wants she wants to be an animal. Right. And you know what? If she got pregnant, it would be like an accidental thing because, you know, if you're having sex, yeah. there's a chance you get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I would have liked that better, honestly. Like you just go that route. Just like, go they're both way. animals. If you're gonna make yeah. yeah, if you're gonna have them black and white, then make them black and white. Stop yeah. thinking that you have to create an arc for them. This would have been perfect characters not to create an arc. Exactly. And that's what this whole movie basically does. There's no real arc in the movie, so why do we have to have like these character arcs? We're just like watching scenes. Yeah. So like let's just let's just let it be. Let's let it be the thing. Yeah, and I, I do. I think I think this movie after the shaman scene never really bounces back for me at all. Like there's stuff obviously I like but I never, uh, I never snap back into the movie really after that scene, except for every scene that Tommy Lee Jones is on screen. <laughs> yeah. So the structure of this film is they're at a diner, you know, and then it says like, okay, they meet, 
they fall in love, they run off together, they get married, they go on a killing spree because that's what, you know, they're showing the world that, whatever, I don't know. And then they finally get caught after this Indian scene because they need rattlesnake juice, which cracked me up. Like, they needed um, anti-venom or mm-hmm. whatever. They needed medicine because they got both bitten by rattlesnakes. <laughs> and then we introduced Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Which is just as crazy as Mickey, but he has a badge. Right. Which is, you know, Oliver Stone's That's, commentary yeah. on authority. Yeah, you know, yeah. that is in everything he does. I was like, oh, wow, you you really, really uh, were subtle with that. Yeah. Which he's not stretching anything. He's not rewriting history or anything like this with this character. But I do like it. You know, I, yeah, I, I but again, it's like, it's like I see it and I like it and I like what the idea is. But then in the end, I just don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I like what you're doing here. I get it. I like what you're saying. You know, but I've seen this done better. Where but, the cop is worse yeah. than the bad guy. You know, like I've seen it but done it was, better. It was, it was such, I don't know, maybe because the movie's supposed to be over the top and a punch in the face. That Like his first scene basically is him killing a woman. Yeah. Because he could. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> they're, like, do you have no subtlety? I, I don't know. Maybe that was the point, but whatever. Uh, Tom Sizemore's uh, acting is great. Everyone's acting is great, by the way, in this. Uh, they're over the top on purpose. That's the director's fault if it goes too far. I think the three people that were probably on the most coke in this movie, oh, uh, which is Robert Downey Jr., Tommy Obviously. Lee Jones, and Tom Sizemore, are give the, my favorite performances in this movie. I love how Woody Harrelson clearly isn't on drugs. Yes. Yeah, he's just kind of... He's, he's just being Woody. <laughs> he's, he's good at what he does. Yeah. And I accept that. I don't know if Woody Harrelson can do anything else. And I'm fine with that. No, I like what Woody... I like what uh, yeah. he brings to the table every time. I mean, he's in this, he's kind of just a different shade of the guy in Zombieland. Or the guy in... The Killer Ape movie, I just for Planet of the Apes. He's the same guy in like so many of these other films, and I'm I'm fine with that. He's a different shade of the same character. Yeah, and yeah, it works, and it works every time. So like, uh, yeah, and I don't I don't judge. It's same thing with Denzel Washington. I know some people are like Denzel just does the same character. I'm like, yeah, but it's good. Yeah, but I like watching it. So yeah, but but that said, like my three favorite people to watch yeah. on this in this movie are the people that are like. Definitely on the well, most drugs. Tommy Lee, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones and um, I almost said Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> if only. Uh, that Robert Downey Jr. They're just another breed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny that like, you know, one of my favorite like Downey Jr. performances ever is, of course, Tropic Thunder. Everybody, everybody loves Tropic yeah. And it is sort of a weird continuation of this character. Because he's the Australian actor in that, and yeah. he's the Australian reporter in this, and you know the way that they're over the top uh, and you know super into themselves and stupid, mm-hmm. it is basically the continuation of this character, you know, into a character that then chooses to do blackface, yeah. you know, like, and I, I love that it's that. Well, and then also, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, I think Tommy Lee Jones's character is. The beginning of what would be his Two Face in Batman Forever, which I fu- I love him in that yeah. movie too. And it's funny because uh, his Two Face is my least like that's one of the Tommy Lee Jones uh, acting choices that I can't stand. It's one of my oh, I love. I know, it. I know. I we're like <laughs> we're so different on that. But with this one, I saw why he was because <laughs> the behind the scenes lets us know. Because Tommy Lee Jones, one of his his like uh, I I don't know. He's like, yeah, I'll do this role, but I. I have to have a pencil thin mustache. And Oliver Stone's like, um, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it sounded like from that behind the scenes, so many of these actors came into it because they they you know they were working with sort of a prestigious director, but they got to do these kind of camp performances, and that's why they were all game to do yeah. it. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so. It's well. So at this point, Quentin Tarantino, while not a household name yet, was definitely a name in the uh, industry. Because he had done Reservoir Dogs, what, two years before? But he had also done the short of it. And he had written these scripts. And first of all, if the Scots notice your talent, the rest of Hollywood notices your talent. Yeah. And True Romance was not a big success. No. But now, that's but why I'm like, saying the industry knew his but, name. But he was, yeah, he was working. Yes, because the like I said, when, when Ridley Scott and Tony Scott notice you have talent, other people use you. Because... That's the Scots. Yeah. And that's and that's how he got to do the rewrites on like The Rock and It's Pat the Movie and Crimson Tide and stuff like that it was because this was this time. This yeah. was during all this. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. So but you know, with this, I know Tom Sizemore, he had already done True Romance. And I think his was he was asked to do this film and when he found out that Quentin Tarantino did the original, he's like, Yes, done. Yeah, it's, it was actually kind of funny how many sort of holdovers from Tarantino stuff were in this with like Juliette Lewis, uh, mm-hmm. who came back and did From Dust Till Dawn. Um, and then like uh, even even like Stephen Wright, the comedian, is in it. Uh, and he was the voice of the radio, the, the disc jockey in uh, Reservoir Dogs. And now he's the cameo as that doctor that mm-hmm. uh, the Robert Downey Jr. is interviewing in this. And it's like it's weird parallels. And yes, yeah, size yeah. more coming from True Romance. And uh, it does. It it feels like very Tarantino verse still. I think it's because he's such a good dialogue writer. I, I think actors and actors, at least with me, I, I'm thinking from my perspective. Like the movie might not be that great. Like the overarching, you know, like oh, okay, it's just uh, something stolen. You know, we're in a crime drama, and then the end. I just would look at that dialogue and be like, I want, I want to say that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what brings all these top-notch actors into stuff like this (laughs) yeah so after they get caught then we just start the prison second half and this is part of mine where i like a lot in the prison but there's a lot of it like putting it together i'm like this just doesn't gel but i love the tommy lee jones over the top like you said but you kind of just like this feels like such two different part one part two Where, where you cut it and what you sent me is like two different movies, basically. I did it on purpose. The first yeah. hour is one movie. The second hour is the, is the other movie. I did it on purpose. One, because I can only send you so much. <laughs> right, through a uh, through we transfer for free. <laughs> and I'm like, this is where I felt like, well, this movie completely changes. And I'm like, I'm going to cut it right there so we can talk about it. <laughs> and absolutely, it is. It's two different movies. But like, I think the second half is where Oliver Stone's maybe interest kind of peaks in a little bit more because it is this is now mm-hmm. about the media and things like that. Um, and I think this second half too ties to the the Joker thing that's going mm-hmm. on right now. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the second half really is like what where we're at now again. Yeah, because you have the whole media aspect where he takes hostage. You know, Mickey does. They do the interview. Which, to me, Woody Harrelson seems to be the only... I, this had to be on purpose. He seems to be the only sane person. Mm. Because you got Robert Downey Jr. just going nuts. Yelling at him and yeah, being like, 
crazy and <laughs> like doing the doing the, they talk about the Geraldo thing yeah. doing the Geraldo thing was massacring all those people worth being separated from your love for the rest of your life you mean was an instant of my purity worth a lifetime of your lies Wayne please explain to me where's the purity that you couldn't live without in the 52 people who are no longer on this planet because they met you and Mallory what's that pure about that how do you do it You'll never understand, Wayne. You and me, we're not even the same species. I used to be you, then I evolved. From where you're standing, you're a man. From where I'm standing, you're an ape. You're not even an ape, you're a media person. Media is like the weather, only it's man-made weather. Murder, it's pure. You're the one made it impure. You're buying and selling fear. You say, why? Say, why bother? Are you done? Great. Then let's cut the BS and get real. Why this purity that you feel about killing? Why for Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me! I guess, Wayne, you just gotta hold that old shotgun in your hand and it comes clear like it did for me the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that, Mickey? Shit, man. I'm a natural born killer. Yeah, who did he interview? Was it Manson? Manson, yeah. yeah. I've never watched that. No, I knew no. about it. No, I know of it. I've probably I seen just... clips of Manson, but like, I, I'd rather look at Manson instead of Geraldo. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Geraldo's outrageous mustache. His he's, entire he's face is over idiot. the top. He's such an idiot. But they had to do that with Robert Downey Jr. too, because I just feel like in one, which by the way, I the the time difference I thought was interesting, but it's still confusing to an audience. Like where you got Robert Downey Jr. in one shot in a mullet, and then the next shot his hair's. A little tamer. Mm. I was like, okay, what? So, okay, I get it. There's a time difference. Whatever. I I loved how he was crazy on screen, and Mickey's just like, oh, you know, does a lion challenge it? They yeah. know it's a lion. Does a deer know it's a deer? Like, I get what they're doing with Mickey. They knew what they were doing with Mickey. It seems like they knew what they were doing with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie as a whole, when we get to the prison, you know, they escape. They do some damage and then they get away with it. Mm-hmm. Well, in quotations, I can explain later, but they get away with it. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Joker come into this. <laughs> it's it's it. You know they're they're showing you the violence and they're showing you you know what they do, what they're doing, and whatever. They're but they're not like glorifying it. They're sort of saying like almost everything around it is worse than this person, but mm-hmm. it's all bad, I guess. And I think that's where a lot of like what what Joker is doing. And I think it's funny because I feel like in the '90s we sort of got it more. We sort of understood what this movie was. It was holding a mirror up to both sides. And pointing out the ridiculousness of like the media and the killers and whatever, and it seems to be lost on a lot of people with Joker today. That like, uh, I think a lot of people lost. I, I think nostalgia, like the not romanticizing, but people bitched about. I watched some of the media coverage on this online, and people just seem to skip right over the message. They're like, "These are two people killing, <laughs> and then it's just outrageous. He's glorifying violence." It's like, wow, you. You've clearly not seen the movie or you didn't get the message because the message is punching you in the face at the end. Yeah. He's showing clips of O.J. Simpson and, <laughs> and the fucking 
kids that killed their parents and how we're all like glued to the television. We're watching what these people did, this horrific violence that they did, and we're just glorifying it. I just think on uh, TV, and, the, not the, uh, it's so and, annoying. And like I, I, I know there was that. I know there was that backlash. Yeah. But I do just feel in a weird way, and maybe maybe it is just nostalgic romanticism or whatever. But I, I just feel like more people, more normal, regular people, got this movie than are getting sort of Joker. And I'm not talking about people who've seen the movie. I'm talking about people who haven't seen the yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like more people who hadn't seen this in the 90s understood what this was versus how many people who haven't seen Joker that just, yeah. Could it be because of social media and like people like go off in their own little corner? Yes. <laughs> the plain and simple answer to that is I think yes. I think social yeah. media is the problem that, uh, you know, in a way, Oliver Stone predicted, though, with this. Like, I think this movie parallels where we are today mm. nicely. You know, like, it isn't sort of the 90s media circus or whatever, but it is sort of the way we've all gone crazy. It's definitely mm. predicted that. Yeah, I always have a hard time relating to it because. I mean, as you know, Analog Jones, Matt, and Steve aren't very good on the social medias. Yeah. <laughs> we don't communicate much. We don't say much, uh, even though... But I talk to people. I, yeah. I don't rely on social media no, yeah. for my friends I, I for, or my messages of the world. If anything, it's the exact opposite. I, like, see something instead of judging it first. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't I, know. So it's, I get what you're saying. I think it is because yeah. we're old. <laughs> Maybe it is. I, I think it's just like I don't care about social media anymore yeah. because I'm like, yeah, whatever. This was just like the same thing in the '90s when people would make all these judgments off what they see on television. I'm like, what the fuck? You, it's t- it's TV. Yeah. Like, don't fucking base your opinion on what someone on TV says. And I, I feel you like what it, the feel, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's all over again now. We're opinion news and just like, you know, oh, I saw this on my Facebook feed. It's like, who gives a shit? Oh, how do you feel? I want to know, how do you feel? Do you feel that's real? And how you always get them with a, um... Yeah. Oh, I have to make my own opinion? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't know what to say here. (laughs) What am I supposed to say here? Can I pull out my talking points from my phone? (laughs) Yeah, no. And I think think that's what this movie is beginning to comment on and stuff like that, too. And I just think it has come full force now with with where we are today and mm-hmm. with you know the release of joker which is so similar you know like yeah. the white male terrorist thing well being man it's really hard canonized. to be a white male now. yeah right right <laughs> i was walking down the street and someone glanced at me and i knew they were judging me right so tough to be me it's so hard. so tough it's so hard to be a white straight male in today's society now <laughs> here's the one thing i will say is i believe natural born killers message is easier to get because it's so over the top and in your face obviously some people back then didn't get it with the joker the message is so powerful and so good I don't think people want to see it. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a different kind of confrontational. Yeah, it's almost like a holding a mirror up confrontational, whereas this is like bombardment of images. Yes, confrontational. Yeah. I think that is the difference between the two. Because I look at it and I think the message in the Joker is obvious. And if you haven't seen the Joker, come back next week. You know, <laughs> see the movie. See the movie and then tune in. Here. And then tune in. <laughs> here's your spoiler alert. The message with mental health 
and being abandoned and living in a house of mental abuse, of physical and mental abuse, is so fucking obvious that when someone's abandoned and they don't feel like they're a part of society, what happens? Like, the only way I can get attention is to do this fucked up shit. Mm -hmm. I think it's so obvious, so clear, but I've already seen so much on it where people just ignore the message and they're like, the Joker doesn't die. He lives. He gets away with all this chaos and anarchy. And you're like, did you even watch the movie? (laughs) Yeah, no, and it's it's talking it's talking about what's happening, you know, today. It's the it's the you know, the 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 voices of sort of the the unheard yes, uh, white yes. male terrorists and like how they feel in her and how they gotta come together now to be heard and like, you know, that's the terrorizing of society in order to, you know, have have people think the same way as you, you know, yeah. all of it. All of it. It's all and, there. And this is one thing that I loved about the Joker. After I saw the movie, I had to take time and think about it. Yeah. It made me think. Right. And there were parts in the movie where I'm like, oh no, this is glorifying these, you know, these unabandoned these abandoned white kids in a way. I was thinking, I go, but wait a minute, this could be for anyone who's abandoned. And I and I like I said, I think that yeah. what Joker does is yeah. it's holding a mirror up. Yes. It's yeah. saying, yeah, okay, here is this abandoned white straight male who's rising up to do but it's like yeah. it's not glorifying it at all. He's a bad guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well and then there was other parts where I was like, Oh, you know what? Those people are gonna find whatever they need. You know, you have the KKK because of this. You know, they're taking these abandoned kids who are they're like, No, your hate is okay. Let's channel that hate into hating Every minority, right. you know what I mean? And then they use them. Yeah. But there's, so I'm like, you know what? They're going to be fucked up anyway. They're just looking for an avenue. And what they really need is help. Yeah. And people aren't going to help them because society's not looking at them. We're not going to go too far into exploring this whole psychology because I'm not a psychologist and I'm pretty much a dumbass. And I'm retired, so I don't talk about it anymore. Yes. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm a retired psychologist. Yeah. Well, um, also a retired murderer. And retired murderer, both. Yeah. Um, now we just watch VHS tapes that no one listens to us about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's not th- true. I think that I think that makes us the most sociopathic of all. <laughs> oh well, well put. Well put. <laughs> but yeah, with this whole thing, what I've seen is is and I and I did briefly talk to a friend about it, and he he nailed it. He said, "I feel like everyone's fighting about what this movie is making people or could make people." And the other half is just like, yes, but this is a brilliant performance, uh, an amazing movie. And he was right. He's like, yeah, but people are missing the message <laughs> that they're clearly showing you. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're they're showing us this is what's happening. They're not saying, wouldn't this be great if this happened? You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. some people that want to be negative about it are thinking that they we're glorifying it, but we're not glorifying it. We're just showing what happened, you know? <laughs> and I think in a way, Joker is sort of answering... A little, just a tiny fraction of the question of like, how did we get here today? <laughs> yeah. But I'm also incredibly, is proud the word, of Warner Brothers and the rest of the people having the courage to make this movie in this environment. You are making a piece that makes us think. Yeah. And I think this is, this is Natural Born Killers coming out in 94. And this is this coming out now. Like, I think this is a bold controversial confrontational move and in like i drew the parallel between tarantino and uh and oliver stone with with this i think also oliver stone and todd phillips are you know 
have parallels as well as controversial filmmakers. Yeah, I think Todd Phillips clearly has, like, his comedy has so much darkness behind it. Yeah, you could exactly. tell. In, Even in The Hangover. The Hangover. As I funny as it, that yes, movie is, yeah. it's, there's so much just darkness there. So when I first heard about The Joker, I was like, ugh, an origin story. Uh, you know me, and I hate yeah. origins. Yeah. Um, most of them. And I was like, ugh, oh, what, The Hangover guy's doing it? That's fucking weird. And then I started to think about it. I was like, oh, no, I get it. I get it. He's got a lot of darkness behind his ha-has. Yes, exactly. So I, I thought that was, yeah, I think yeah. I think he was the right choice. But I do think there's some weird parallels between mm-hmm. this and that, like, like just just with who's who's bringing us this movie now. I guess Todd Phillips isn't like a household name. He's not like Oliver Stone was then or whatever. Where he, he might be gonna, now. Well, he might, yeah, if he if he wins the Oscar this year, he might. But, yeah, and uh, I can tell you right now that Phoenix. The movie was so good, I forgot it was connected to the Batman universe. Yeah. There was, until it shoved me back in. Until it, like, forces it in. I was like, oh, I've heard the name. Which I don't think it needed to do, but, you know, I get it. Well, no, I I think with the origin story of the Joker, I I could see you getting away with it, but I don't want to say it, because some people might not have left when we said the spoilers, but the end, you're like, okay, this is the Batman universe. Yeah. There is no denying it now, but... I don't want this movie stands. Uh, the Joker stands on its own two feet, and that's fun. And it was. I don't even think this is on purpose. Uh, a flicking off the Marvel universe, but talk about taking it. They're like, okay, you're doing the ultimate adventure, fun family flick. We're gonna do our own thing, and instead of like trying to do the opposite, I think they just came up with a story that they're like, this is fucked up, and it happens to be we don't do. A post-credit scene, because fuck that. This is our own movie. This is this is its own origin. <laughs> like, just it's yeah. bonkers. Yeah, no, this is. It's not meant to be. It's not meant to have a sequel. It's not meant to be a part of anything that's already been established. It's not. You know, it's its own movie, and that's all it is, and it's all it exists to be. And I feel like that's so rare in the superhero yeah. world. And the and the fact I I like the fact as just like a huge sort of Batman fan. They said, okay, we're going to take Joker and we're going to use that to tell this story, this very Taxi Driver-esque story that is also talking about where we're at today. Yeah, I was surprised that they went that route and I'm kind of like, yeah, good. I hope we get more of them. But I guess steering back into Natural Born Killers, I'm kind of like 50-50 on if I like it or not. There's some things I like, but as a whole, it's too long. Yeah, I think I think when it comes to natural born killers, it's like I I like a lot of stuff in it, and there might be like an hour and fifteen minute movie that I like a lot that mm-hmm. is natural born killers, but the two hour movie as it stands now is uh, too much of a slog, and too bloated, and mm-hmm. too many ideas that are half fulfilled. Um, I would have loved to have seen what Tarantino would have done with it. I would. I really would have liked to have seen his version of it. I'm sure it still would have been controversial. I'm sure it still, you know, would have been questionable or whatever. But I would have liked to have seen what he would have done with it, considering that I think he's a much better filmmaker than Oliver Stone. Yeah. Gauntlet thrown. <laughs> uh, yeah, throw down that gauntlet. I don't really care. I don't think anyone, not many people are going to fight you on the Oliver Stone versus Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> there might be. There, there might have been in the 90s, That's but now true. it's just like Oliver Stone. I don't part of me is just like all right you fucking hack but <laughs> you did some great stuff um but i don't care yeah 
I think I think in a lot of ways some people do consider Natural Born Killers to be Oliver Stone's masterpiece, and I think that says it kind of all. That like, oh, if really? you consider this to be, oh yeah, there's definitely a sect of like oh, film wow. fans that I would do not agree with this, them. Um, Oliver Stone's masterpiece. I remember um, when I worked uh, Chicago International Film Festival, we had Oliver Stone in for a screening of this, and yeah, the the buzz around it was sort of like we were showing his masterpiece and this was to film people and stuff like yeah. that well i know film people or whatever um not my people um but uh like uh i think there is this thought and i i and you know what if people think this is his masterpiece then that pretty much sums up how i feel about oliver stone's like yeah, yeah i guess there's, that a lot is of good, too. there's a lot of yeah. good stuff in here but like it's uh, a bloated mess that i can't really make I, I, full sense of <laughs> i feel the same way about like born on the fourth of july or there's a lot of the oliver stones where i'm like there's a lot of really good stuff in this but the rest of it is so bloated no you know i'm just like tired of watching it yeah i think like the, the message he's trying to say already comes through before you see the movie you know what i mean like if you've seen the trailer for this and the posters for this you're like all right i see what he's commenting on killers in the media and then by the time you see the movie you're like well yeah i get it like i I know what he's going for right here and it's like with born on the fourth of july it's like yeah i know what he's i know what he's saying about vietnam i I already know that (laughs) from what i can understand the true ending of this in the quentin tarantino film and there's still like artifacts of this throughout the movie is the guy that helps them lead lead them out of the jail. You know, the really quiet guy. Right, right. So what happens was he was supposed to go off to find them a vehicle to get away, and they end up killing the media guy, which I... I, What is his name? It's like Kane or something. What is it? Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is... Yeah, Wayne Gale. 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 So they end up killing him, and then the person left behind is the camera. And then in this movie... It just fades to black of them walking off and then them dreaming about having a family in the van. Mm-hmm. Well, it appears that it is the real life. It could really, have been. Really, yeah. it's an artifact left over that the true ending was they get the van and the quiet guy ends up killing them. Which is at the end yeah. of the tape. And while they're dying, she or both of them are dreaming that they're like, yeah, we could have had a life together. We could have got away. But really, because we made fun of this guy... And, and that's what happens. They make fun of them. You saw the end, you yeah, know, the yeah. uncut. So it was kind of like, see, they they were like the downtrodden, but then they treated the downtrodden behind them like shit. I, I, I don't know if that was quite what Quentin Tarantino or the writers or whoever came up with this. That was supposed to be the true ending, but they cut it. Yeah. I thank God they did uh, because uh, yeah, it's more interesting when they just walk away. <laughs> well, and I think it, uh, I th- Oliver Stone makes the comment in the 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 behind the scenes because he sort of narrates each deleted scene that you're gonna see and then when when he proceeds the alternate ending he says like it's in the 90s the killers just walk away and i think that's true i think that's the right ending for this movie if you're commenting on the 90s and you're commenting on the media circus the camera still runs and they walk away that's the end that's the ending yeah. that's how you end this movie so thank god they didn't go with the other ending but i do love that actor though arliss howard i yeah, think he's, he's, he's a great character actor and uh um it was fun to see him pop up and i liked sort what is, of what was one of the 90s movies that i saw him in was he in one of the jurassic parks oh yeah he might be yeah he might be on two or three yeah, yeah i can't remember yeah i think he is yeah is he the the rich jackass in the in lost world I think he is. Is he? Yeah, I think he's a so. good actor. He plays yeah. that role. But yeah, he was 
And this one, uh, yeah, I, I'm. But the thing is, like, his character is introduced, like, he's helping them get through. He's, like, going to become part of their group, and then he's gone. Yeah, yeah, that's how it plays in this movie. And it, uh, I did I did think it was interesting how, like, Oliver Stone talks about, like, you see him in the diner, and he disappears, and, like, he's the one that helps them get through. He's almost their, like, guardian angel, and that's yeah. who's credited in, 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 like, the IMDb and I think the end credits as, like, the guardian angel of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an interesting concept. But, yeah, I just don't think the ending of him killing them is fits. Yeah. I just wonder if it's artifacts left over from Quentin Tarantino's final. Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. I feel like Tarantino would be more likely to have a sort of guardian angel character and probably do it the right way mm-hmm. and not sort of in this kind of half-assed way that like Oliver Stone yeah, has done the, it. <laughs> and, they, and they treat him like shit at the end. So, he, you know, the the one that's been getting him, getting them together and through this entire thing, they treat like shit, so he kills them. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, clearly the Quentin Tarantino artifacts of the Wayne Gale, how he dies at the end, is so obvious. Where, like, he creates this media storm of these two, and then, you know, he's using the camera, and then that camera ends up killing him in a way. Right. I mean, that one was so obvious. And I get why that's interesting. Uh, Kind of obvious, in my opinion, but eh, maybe not to everyone. But I've seen that before. You've seen it. Yeah. Uh, I liked it here, though. Yeah, Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, A lot of this stuff... The abruptness of the ending, like, I feel like we needed a breather still before credits rolled. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the abruptness kind of throws me, but the most part, like, the, the killing of the the Wayne, the Gale character is, I like. I like that. I like I like mm-hmm. that of this movie. But yeah, I think I, I needed it to be better done. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite get the cutting to, like, the geese flying. That always confused me. I'm like, all right, why, why are you showing geese? Yeah, so much, so much of the cutaway things are just like superfluous that don't mean anything. Like, yeah, and I'm like, well, yeah, I get you're doing the MTV editing and the stuff, but like, come on. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then, yeah, we kind of get. I almost didn't know what to think when we got the credits rolling with like them driving in the Winnebago with the kids and stuff like that. I was like, I didn't even, I didn't even know what to do with that information when the credits are rolling. You know what I mean? Like, well, and yeah, obviously it's like and, a fantasy, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not trying to be real or anything like that, but still, I didn't know what to do with that when that happened in the movie. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I kind of would have just liked it if they would have walked off and the credits credits. Done. Put I don't a cool really song on over it. Yeah. And credits. I don't give a shit about what, because there's no way you'd get away with that. There's no, come on you just escape from a prison there'd be helicopters everywhere that's where my mind went instead of you know it should have just been like if you would have faded to black when they walked off then anything could happen anything could happen exactly so yeah i don't know uh we're, we're talking about tarantino artifacts and this is something that comes up in one of the deleted scenes and it's the the ashley judd scene and uh mm-hmm. oliver stone even makes a note when that scene plays that it's one of the most intact tarantino scenes that's from the movie that they ended up cutting or whatever um and i thought it was funny listening to woody harrelson's dialogue where he's talking about bruce lee well could you tell us what form of martial arts it was it was called jeet kune do jeet kune do was the style developed by none other than the late great bruce lee did you know that grace that's why Tim studied it, because it was Bruce Lee's fighting style. And the boyfriend that knows the same martial art that Bruce Lee 
Yeah, I know. That's so... It's so Tarantino. So Tarantino. But, like, he finally kind of got to pay that off and do that with Hollywood, finally. Yes. Like, he got got to take his courtroom scene from Natural Born Killers and do it in the fight scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that made me smile watching that deleted scene. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm glad they cut that deleted scene because that makes... That's just too much. Oh, yeah. It doesn't belong in the movie. But it did have some good yeah. Bruce Lee style dialogue thing that, that Tarantino does really well. Um, well, but yeah, that I would have liked to have seen that scene in Tarantino's movie, not in yeah. this smorgasbord that we got. Yeah, with with this movie, the whole thing, you know, like where he defends himself, which I laughed. Uh, you know, I was like, okay, but like where he's picking up the knives and then he ends up stabbing her. I'm, I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, a little much, a little much. Glad you cut this. You already had enough. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go. To, this yeah. Is just, there's a lot of the, like, I, the whole rape scene in the hotel. I was like, yeah, you don't need that because you already know he's fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. And Woody Harrelson's face when he realizes it's back in the movie is pretty it's, fucking it's just hilarious. Priceless. Um, but, like, yeah, like, that, you didn't need it. Uh, I, I do like how he, like, points out specifically two things that he put back in the movie that are just so weird and silly. In the opening scene, the knife being thrown into the guy's back. And he points out yeah, how he was yeah. able to put that back in the movie. Uh, and then the hole in Robert Downey Jr.'s hand when she when they shoot him in the hand. Yeah. And like, it's such, it doesn't mean anything. Oliver Stone seems to think that these are just like, really, they needed to be back in this movie. They like mean yeah. so much more. You mean than it's just because a, he's a hack. And it's like, and it's like <laughs> dude, you're just filling the movie with shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I know Oliver Stone's talented. So if anyone likes him and you're hearing me call him a hack, we'll just put up with it because he is. I can't fucking stand him. But um, he does good stuff. Yeah, he does good stuff, but it's always in a frame of something I don't like. Yeah, I, <laughs> or it's just like so obvious. Like when he did Born on the Fourth of July, he's just like, "See, these people from Vietnam were suffering." Yeah, you did this movie in the '80s. We fucking knew that. Yeah, it's like we, you're, this isn't a mystery. Yeah, what you're saying already, you're, you've said like it's been said. You yeah, know? <laughs> like, you're not doing anything. Platoon. That's when you said something. Yeah. The Born on the Fourth, but but I've heard people. I think he did both, right? Yeah. God, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Born on the Fourth of July. The the one thing I really liked was he showed the life afterwards, which I thought was brilliant. But the shoving and the like punching you in the face with like we need to treat our war veterans better than not all pieces of shit, and also war is really bad. And you're like, yeah, we got all this. We, we, know, we know. We know. You don't. Three hours. We don't need to know yeah. that. We know that already. <laughs> yeah, we we got it. Platoon was at least he just showed that like, hey, war's fucked up. And you're like, yeah, this message has been done over and over, but it, it's interesting still to see because you're living in the moment. You're not like being told that war is bad. At least what I remember of Platoon, because honestly, I haven't watched it in such a long time. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since school. Um, oh, you I had wonder... to watch that in school? Yeah, I don't. I think it was later though. I don't think it was like oh, grade man. school or anything like that. I think it was like high, late high school early college i feel like i watched it in something i don't know if we watched any war movies in school maybe we did i don't know in grade school we watched glory i remember that oh yep we watched glory too that's i feel like the school one (laughs) yeah because we we had to be pointed at as kids and be like remember racism is bad right right it's like yeah (laughs) yeah okay I know. And I, I saw it in fucking Catholic school, and I was like, you're the problem. <laughs> don't tell me. Don't make me watch this movie and be like, don't be racist. Because like, you motherfuckers are all racist. <laughs> don't you condescend me, motherfucker. Don't you condescend me, man. 
<laughs> going my back favorite to, yeah. my favorite Brad Pitt performance is in that movie, by the way. <laughs> uh, my friend uh, Matt from Horror Movie Night, our friend, um, he he uh, sent me a message saying, like, did you know that was the inspiration for Pineapple Express? Like, I guess Lloyd from that. That makes sense. That I'm like, that's some damn good trivia, man. <laughs> I hope that's right because I'm going to tell people that shit. <laughs> that's that's really good. Oh, yeah, what a great character. And condensing me, motherfucker. <laughs> He's so good. Let's move on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is a part of the show that we're not forgetting this week, even though we forget it quite a bit now. But uh, yeah, we go out in the film jungle, bring something back. With Natural Board Killers, I'm going to let you go first because I know what character you're going to put in. I'm actually not. Oh, I'm not gonna do the. I'm not bitch. gonna do the obvious choice of putting like Tommy Lee Jones in the museum. Uh, I love him, but uh, his Two Face, which is a continuation of this character, belongs more in that museum than <laughs> than this character. I think. Um, Where Batman just happened to be holding a bunch of coins. Yes. Threw it up in the air. God, I love that movie. <laughs> Thank God I brought my bag of coins today. The utility belt has it all. <laughs> um, no, I think actually I'm gonna just put in the museum a a lump of coal this time. Not not a good thing here. Uh, in a movie where it is surrounded by things I like, I think this movie is just too bloated, and maybe it suffers from having too many cooks in the kitchen or something like that. Yeah, but just the thing I think we need to learn from is sort of if you've got this idea, if you've got this takedown of the media thing, set your focus. Go that way and don't, you know, the the sort of the sporadicness of this movie sort of ruins the movie. When normally I love movies that are fucking all over the place, like totally schizophrenic movies or whatever. But this one shortchanges itself with doing all the different uh, things that it's trying to do. So I think when you have like an idea like this where you're going to attack the media using the frame of killers... Set your focus. Stay, stay the course. So your lump of coal is maybe it's directed at the script. Stay focused. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, my whole lump of coal is just basically Oliver Stone's. Like, just fucking. He just <sighs> stop. Or actually, all directors. Will you just stop going back and doing directors' cuts of your old movies? Uh, unless, unless it was like ripped apart. Which this one clearly wasn't. Like, he goes in, he's like, I stuck four minutes in. He's like, yeah, four... What? Really? Four minutes? It's not like whole scenes were ripped out. Right. He did the whole scene rip out, which I kind of agreed with him when he's just like, well, I'm glad I got rid of the Indian uh, where they meet the Native American and everything. And and you're like, no, you made a good call. You you know, the rest, the MPAA taking stuff out, it make no sense. But I, I just, like, I get so tired of, like... I, I don't know what I really get tired. I don't even know what this lump of coal is. I just don't like I don't like Oliver Stone. No, like, I there's think, my I, lump of coal. I think what you're saying, you have a very good idea. It's like uh, a lot of times directors' cuts hurt the movie more than just letting the the art be the art or whatever. Like, yeah, obviously, as a as a director, you're you're never going to be 100 percent happy with everything that happened. There's going to be something that you wish you could change or whatever, and like. You know, if you're always changing stuff, then you're George Lucas or whatever. And I think that's the far, the 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 end sort of thing that can yeah. happen uh, when you start 
dipping your toe into like the director's cut thing. And I think I think there has been a number of director's cuts that I think have been good, but yeah, I think usually those are only the ones that have been sort of taken away yeah. from the filmmakers versus <laughs> filmmakers yeah. going back and adding more shit that you don't need in the movie. It would have been awesome in the commentaries like, um, over here to the left we put another guard tower because <laughs> I felt like this scene needed to be more filled out. I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Oliver Stone gets taken over from Lucas. Wouldn't it be great if we had more like Tauntauns here? Yeah. <laughs> and I, th- yeah, I think that what we cranking the dial from what Oliver Stone is doing here is just George Lucas anyway. So I mean, like, yeah, I think what you're saying there's a really good. I just, I'm, I'm like, no, like, let an editor do an editor's job. Yeah. And if you, yeah, if you were able to have some version of Final Cut on your movie. That's the movie that exists, bro. Let it be. Let yeah. it get out. Let that fucking be the thing that's that uh, yeah. speaks for itself, man. I, I don't. I don't care if you put in the deleted scenes and stuff like that. I'm like, some people find that. I, I find that interesting sometimes. Sometimes I. I just don't care. I just don't want you to like. <laughs> I just didn't like it at the beginning where Oliver Stone just felt like he's just like this changed the movie. I'm like, no, it did not. <laughs> Yeah, a hole in a hand, a knife being thrown, and Tommy Lee Jones's head on a stick did not change this movie no, for me. It no. just made it longer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's my whole lump of coal. <laughs> Fuck, man. You made me sit through this whole thing again for four extra minutes <laughs> that weren't even fucking useful. Uh, but also, fuck the MPAA for doing the, the whole taking off the head on the stick and the hole in the hand. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, uh, that's that's what's going to get your R rating or whatever. Yeah, no. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think, I think what is interesting, and it came from the MPAA and stuff, the, the, the mysticism around the movie is kind of interesting. You know, like this is going to be a controversial, confrontational movie, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not for kids. And it's like, you know, it does feel like something that you feel kind of naughty watching. I do appreciate that, but a lot of it, is bullshit too. So, <laughs> yeah. And another thing is bullshit. When Oliver Stone was just like, you know, I just like, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that, like I like to push buttons. And I'm like, will you just admit you're an asshole? Yeah. You like just, I would love that. Yeah. Like Oliver Stone is just the original edge lord. That's all he yeah, is. <laughs> like where he's pretending like he's not the guy who pushes buttons. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, Ugh, that's what you're known for. Yeah, that's your thing, and that's what you do. And for better or worse, that's what we get. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, you can catch us on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean. You know how the internet works. Facebook. So uh, you can get us a lot of different ways. We'll be back next week with another Taron Tober film. Yes. And this one he actually directed. Yes, we're we're actually bringing it, uh, bringing it to Taron. Like it's just the pinnacle. This, this is, is the know, pinnacle of Tarantino. This is here. the biggest bite out of the sandwich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're at a diner having a burger, this is the biggest bite. This is the bite with all the condiments on it. You get yep. the you get the ketchup, mustard, pickle, onion, tomatoes on this bite here. <laughs> it's all there for you. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Remember to be kind. Rewind. <laughs>